following program is intended for mature audiences. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Let's talk football. Let's talk football. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. There's been a lot of complaints already. Bad language, smoking grass. 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Welcome back. Episode 8, Corona Mania. Slamboree 2020. <laughs> Another episode of the Intentional Foul Podcast. I'm Dan here with Josh on the line again. What's up, man? Hello. Glad to have you. Um, Glad to be here. Kind of a slow week in the sports world. Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of in this... Time here now, really, where we're deep into the into the quarantine, the stay at home stuff, and there's not really much on the horizon other than the Jordan Doc and some NFL stuff trickling out. But man, it's it's getting rough. There's not much going on. Well, you've spent the entirety of your time being entertained with the Packers drama, which I think all the other Packers fans are just you know. It's like when the Avengers tried to create Ultron and then they tried to do it again after things went badly. And it's like, well, what we didn't we learn our lesson the first time? Right. And now, you know, like we're caught in the loop. So I think Gudikins would be very flattered that you consider him the Robert Downey Jr. of the Packers. <laughs> well, who else does he have to be? And then, yeah, LeFleur is just looking on as the, as the, as the Bruce Banner uh, character. Yes. Jesus. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, you know, I I I like it because obviously I'm not a Packer fan. But for Packer right. fans right now, because nothing else is going on, this is just like daily fodder for the local media to just oh. every day going to be a, a story about speculation. And I heard this, and this guy said that, and oh, I mean, you're you're in for a yeah. long you're in for every, a long summer, man. I know, and every major outlet, whether it. You know, the Green Bay Press Gazette, the Journal Sentinel, the State Journal, the ESPN Wisconsin, everybody connected to the team in one manner has written some form of opinion pieces. You've got people that aren't connected to the team doing interviews and prognosticating about what people think and how people feel. And yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, I said this this morning. It's like, this has happened now the last two years, and now we're on to the third year because it was Rogers, you know, relationship with McCarthy fracturing. Then it was Lafleur and Rodgers didn't see eye-to-eye eye on his new offense and his new system. Now it's they're trying to push him out the door before his four-year extension. It's just like, Jesus Christ, can we just stop doing anything until we play fucking football? No, I, I hear you. And, you know, the, the, the Bob McGinn story that came out the other day where he allegedly has some quotes from people in the Packer organization talking about Rodgers. Um, what, what is it with this guy that it seems like so many people, especially it seems national people, are love to just poke him and take shots at him is because they know he's such a prickly guy that maybe he'll bite back or it just seems like Rodgers, for whatever reason, the last couple of years has taken a lot of shit from the media for 
you know, whether these rumors about him as a teammate or or, or as as uh, in a coach player relationship, whether or not they're true, it just seems like people have taken a lot of shots at him and and really actually enjoyed it. What? Why? Why do you think that is? I think he's an easy target just because of the of his body language and the way he carries himself. Um, and I mean, as far as the McGinn story. One Packers beat writer said, you know, don't believe anything because he, McGinn just basically wrote a story off of a a fake tweet from a burner account and he ran with it as it was all true. And then um, on the BS report, somebody said, don't even believe anything that McGinn says because he hasn't been connected to the team for a long time. So, but yeah, I don't know because he's a national guy. He's not even located in the area. And I don't know whether he's trying to prove that he's plugged in or you know get a resurgence i have no idea but but you're right that that guy is just a magnet for national attention and And, it seems like once somebody grabs on everybody's got to grab on well and and up until about i don't know two three years ago like he was such a such a darling i mean the way the media talked about him was like this guy is the greatest thing i've ever seen and he's so great and he can do all these make all these throws and and just really kissed his ass, and then he didn't even really, it's not like he did anything that he hadn't currently been doing when they were kissing his ass to make people flip. It's just very strange kind of from the outside looking in. uh, You know, I don't follow the Packers day-to-day like a lot of people around here do. It's just a, it's kind of a weird thing. I mean, I understand there are, you know, there's going to be a cowherd who just, doesn't like Rodgers and just is going to use him and pick on him the way Skip Bayless does with LeBron. That that happens, but it just seems like collectively the last two or three years there's kind of been a pile on with Rodgers, and I'm not sure where it's coming from. Um, I, I guess there you know there's a lot of stories about him as a guy floating out there, and it. I don't know. It's just it's it, weird because there there does seem to be different versions of this guy like there is the mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers I mean the other day I was just flicking around and they they were replaying on CBS Sportsnet the Badger uh Duke National Championship game for for college hoops from a couple years ago and like Rodgers is at the game and Rodgers is involved yep. with the Bucks and he's got a, he's got some he's got mm-hmm. some money in the team and he and he I think up until the last I don't know year or so he you would see him at games and it's like well that's cool I mean, even as a non-Packer fan, it's like, all right, that's cool. He's supporting the other Wisconsin teams. But then you hear the stories about his relationship with his parents, and he can't get along with McCarthy. And, you know, the stuff last summer in that article that came out from Tyler Dunn about Murphy telling him don't be a problem. And it's like, well, who is this guy really? Like, is he really an asshole that's just putting on a show? Like, what is he? It's funny that you look at all those instances and. It usually starts with something or somebody else, and all of a sudden the sights get to be trained on him later on. Like the McCarthy thing, people were questioning his coaching ability and his play calling, and they weren't winning as many games. Then all of a sudden, well, is it is, is it the quarterback? Then Lafleur comes in, and it's a new guy, and it's a new system, and how's this going to work? Well, wait a minute, how's it going to? What does he have a good relationship? with the current quarterback. Now they draft the guy of the future and he's 
maybe going to play. And so, well, wait a minute. Rodgers has four years on an, on an extension. How is he going to feel? Like, it just seems to circle back around to him for some reason, and it's never identifiable because, like you said, he doesn't really do anything. He doesn't really say anything. All of a sudden, the sights get set on him after the fact, and it's then it's like, wait a minute. How did this become about him? And then it just gets blown up from there. Yeah, I mean, you really don't ever hear him say anything other than press conferences after football games or like during the week on a media day. Like you no. don't hear about you don't hear him giving quotes during the off season about anything. You know, he, he's nope. not he's not weighing in on politics. He's not tweeting about the NBA season. He's not talking about his his upcoming. He doesn't say anything. So it is, I don't do know. You, it's just it's weird, man. It, it, it's like I said, is somebody on the outside looking in? It's like it's I'm I'm not a fan of the guy, but it's just a little weird how he's he's treated in the media. That's, that's what all. do you make of the uh, what do you make of the Favre comments the other morning? I mean, as a player, uh, you talk to somebody that you had this fractured relationship with right from the get go. That's been healed. Now your buddies and you talk somebody to because you're reliving the same experience that you were in before only now you're on the other side and then Favre goes on national television and despite him saying you know I'm not going to talk specifically about what we discussed then he kind of gets into it anyway and just kind of intimates how Rogers felt I don't know is that is that cool for him to do or would you rather just say you know what this is between me and him I got nothing to say about that you want to ask me about the current situation and what it means fine but we aren't talking about what we discussed or how he feels. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think we're just in this era now where everybody feels that they can just talk. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't think Favre's any different, you know, Rich Eisen calls him and says, Hey, do you want to talk about Aaron Rodgers?" And he says, sure. He's going to go on there and, and say some things. I mean, I think it's hilarious in 2020 that those guys are friends, frankly, right. um, after, yep. after all the drama and all the shit that went on. And I mean, you know, there's, there's been some things that I think probably still haven't even come out of how badly Favre treated Rogers those first couple of years. I mean, I've heard some, some intimations of some pretty severe hazing and bullying of him. Um, but I, apparently they've made up. So I, you know, good, good on them, but I don't know. I I think the comments were reasonable. I think everything Favre said was pretty reasonable. Um, you mm-hmm. know, Aaron should Aaron should have his nose out of joint. I don't think anybody in his position wouldn't. And you know, I fully. I think he's already reached out to Jordan Love. I believe I, that's been reported. I yeah. I said this last week. I think there's a hundred percent certainty that he's not going to be a dick to this kid. Because he understands oh. the kid didn't do anything. They the Packers picked the kid. The kid didn't yeah. politic to to replace Rodgers. He's not saying he's going to replace Rodgers, so it's not his fault. The people he's mad at are are wearing polos and work upstairs. You know, so I, I don't know. I, I I think you know I I've, I had a couple of people reach out to me in the last week or so, and we were just you know texting back and forth about it and. I've had a couple people say, you know, Rodgers is going to get traded this year. And it's like, well, he's not getting traded this year because financially it's almost an impossibility for it to not just murder the Packers. Um, But after (laughs) not only that, why would you draft this kid and then just throw him in as a rookie? 
Right. By no accounts is he is he even close to being ready to play right now. So you're talking two years down the road, but I do think that you know the Packers, whether they like it or not, have unwittingly put this giant spotlight on every single move they make, everything they say, and especially every game day now. And Rodgers is going to have an extra big spotlight on him too because, like you said about his body language, every time his shoulders slump or he's not you know, talking to Jordan Love on the sideline or or whatever, it's going to become a thing. And it's just really hard, even with great teams, to win under those circumstances. And I don't think the Packers are a great team. They're good, but they're certainly not a great team at this point. And I don't know. I, I think it has the potential to be a very big distraction in the locker room, especially with the age gap. It's kind of the same thing that I think happened with Rodgers and Favre where Favre was still really good, but like he had these young guys like coming in like Jennings and Finley and Nelson that are looking at Rodgers like, well, this is going to be my guy that I'm going to play with for the next several years here, not Favre. So if you start bringing in young guys, I mean, if you're this rookie that got picked, the the running back out of Boston College, like, who is he going to be on the Packers with in five years? Not Rodgers. So wouldn't he? Right. I mean, if if lines are drawn, wouldn't you go with the young guy if you're a young guy? I mean, that, I think that would make sense, right? Oh, that's who you should attach yourself to. I mean, yeah, you might get, you know, a couple of handoffs here and there for the next couple of years, depending on what they do from Aaron Jones. But your guy is going to be wearing a different number than 12. Right. Um, so that's who you probably want to start building a rapport with, because those are your, those are clearly two of your main guys for the future. They, that you're right. They should definitely be um, probably paling around more. So, but I, you know, I just think that's got, that's got an opportunity to, cause a lot more friction than than anybody thinks and you know some of those guys I don't know if they you know maybe Gudikins but some of those guys like Lafleur they weren't around 10 years 12 years ago when all this shit went down with the Packers and and even the fan reaction too I mean that was such a polarizing thing even within the fan base when Favre got pushed out I mean you and I have mm-hmm. laughed before at how many uh Packer fans became Viking fans um yep you know, I mean, do you want that to happen again? You're kind of forcing that to be so. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, you know, I jokingly said it last week, you know, being the Bears quarterback in, in 2022 or whatever, that's not Realistic. that far-fetched. It's not. I mean, I don't nope. think they would ever trade him there, but weird things can happen, you know? Weird things can happen. Yeah, Maybe Rodgers um, does what Favre did and, and has to go to another team for a year before he gets to go where he right. wants to go to to exercise his grudge hold. You you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's you you're you're right about what they're doing to the fans. I mean, there's a difference between alienating your fan base by losing and being dumb and inept and not making the right decisions. There's a there's a completely different story when you push out a future Hall of Fame quarterback because you had to get somebody in the draft maybe a year or two before other fans thought that this was necessary because your you know your franchise guy just signed a four-year extension because he has said repeatedly he wants to play till he's 40 and wants to finish his career there so uh, you know that to me doesn't really I mean I know they're doing what they think is in the best interest of the football team 
But at the same time, you got to answer a lot of questions. You got to face the firing squad. And I mean, they basically (laughs) are out in front of everybody now for the next few years. And like you said, every move is going to be examined with a fine tooth comb and poured over and criticized. And I don't, I don't think they did the team any favors. I don't think they did themselves any favors in doing that. It really highlights the difference between the NFL and the NBA, too. Like, just organizationally, like, the fact that New England can shove Brady out the door, you know, the Niners shoved Montana out the door, Packers did it to Favre, yep. the Piers are doing it with Rodgers. Like, it doesn't matter in football because, like, free agency isn't as big of a deal. Where in the NBA, you could just never do that as an ownership group because no player would ever sign with you. You know what I mean? Like, it's just mm-hmm. it's just not feasible in 2020. Like, the Lakers couldn't just say to LeBron, like, all right, dude, just go away. They, they'd never get a big-name free agent again, at least, <laughs> in, at least in the short term. You know what I mean? Like, where in football, it doesn't matter because there's not a bunch of quarterbacks sitting out there unsigned waiting waiting to take Brady's place or something. It, that's just not how the league works. Yeah, which is hilarious considering what they've got, uh, you know, waiting in the wings. And, I mean, I don't know what Belichick's going to do with that team now that he's gone and how <laughs> how low he's willing to sink to try and restock everything. But um, it, I don't think it's going to be pretty this year. Well, I heard an interesting story about this, this Jared Stidham kid that is uh, – going to replace Brady and Peter Schrager was on on a podcast the other day and he was telling about when Stidham was in high school he was the number one rated player in the country and Cliff Kingsbury was at Texas Tech and was recruiting him and he came to a game to recruit him and uh, I guess Stidham went to a Texas Tech game and in that game Mahomes was the quarterback and he threw like mm. he threw like eight touchdowns and for five hundred yards. And he was only like a sophomore, so he still had another year to be there. And Stidham's like, "Well, I'm not going there." So he went. I I can't remember. Oh, he went to Baylor, and then the whole Art because Art Bryles yep. and him went to the same high mm-hmm. school. But then the whole Art Bryles thing at Baylor unfolds. So then he ends up. Uh, I don't even know where the hell he ended up, and he played like his last two years on some mediocre teams, but like. I think this is one of those guys, again, that Belichick sees as like a diamond in the rough that he's pulling one over on people. Mm-hmm. And may, maybe he is. Maybe the kid just took a strange path to get where he is. But I'm with you. I, I just I think, especially based on their terrible draft, I don't know what the hell the Patriots <laughs> are thinking. But at the end of the day, yep. we don't really care because we just want to see him lose anyway. Nope. So. Yeah, no, it doesn't matter. It, it, it'll be nice to finally not see them be Super Bowl champions. Uh, he went to Auburn. Oh, yeah, uh, Auburn. Well. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right, well, what else you got? Um, well, I mean, what what do you think about – I mean, you and I have talked about this before, and, and when we were – when I was borrowing the ladder, which, by the way, thank you, I'm going to get one for Father's Day because I've already asked my old man to nice. grab me an eight-foot fiberglass ladder. Uh, by the way, is that okay if I give it back to you next week? We're going to finish painting this weekend. Yeah, that's all good. It's all good. All right. uh, but, like, when I came over to pick up the ladder a couple weeks ago, that was the, the about an hour before or so, the Bears had announced that they officially were not going to be picking up Mitch Trubisky's fifth option. And I saw something of the fact, like, if they did or they franchise tag him or whatever, they'd have to pay him $24 million. Yeah, yeah. 
not going to happen. No, you can't do that. And it's not a surprise. And I think for a lot of people like you that are Bears fans, this is kind of a welcome sigh of relief. But at the same time, isn't it? I mean, is it frustrating for the fact that here's another guy you just throw on the scrap heap and the junk pile and put behind you and you're going to have to roll the dice on somebody else? I mean, how old is this for you? How old is this getting? Well, I don't really know any other way. <laughs> you know, it's like a, it's like being it's like a dog that gets kicked all the time by its owner. Like you you don't expect anything else. Like that's just what it is to be a bear fan. I mean, they constantly screw up the quarterback position. They have ever since Jim McMahon got hurt in 1986. They've never been able to get it right for more than a year or so. Um, I'm actually, I mean, obviously, I'm happy that they decline the option for the financial purposes. I'm very happy about it in football terms um, because now I think it's crystal clear to anybody that was seeing it not crystal clear and maybe maybe Trubisky's included in that. Like, this is it now. This is your make-or-break season. You either play well and get paid by the Bears or you don't and you're on a new team next year, maybe, as a backup. That's it. That, that, that there really is no in between. I mean, if if Trubisky, for me, if Trubisky comes out and he has a year like he did two years ago, and he throws twenty five touchdowns and eleven picks, and the Bears go eleven and five and make the playoffs, I have no problem bringing him back at a reasonable number that's not twenty four million. I'm fine with that for a short, you know, on a on a show me basis. But if he's three and five with eight touchdowns and twelve picks, play falls. Just move on. You're not financially obligated past the season. Mm-hmm. Just move on. Cut your losses. And I think this also shows that Nagy and Ryan Pace know that they're on thin ice and they cannot be tied to Mitch Trubisky any longer. Like, if, if, I'm, if I'm Matt Nagy, I'm looking at this going, I'm not going to sync with him. So you have to give me another option. That's why they got Nick Foles and... You know, that that can be a year and a half or two-year stopgap if need be. But I'm kind of I'm kind of past the disappointment of the screwed-up pick. It was four years ago. There's nothing you can do to change it. It is what it is. Um, it's, but it's just kind of life as a Bear fan, unfortunately. See, and that got me thinking today about this situation when I saw a tweet um, I think it was from a media guy who was just asking any player or executive to chime in. And it basically said, how long do you need to see a particular draft pick or rookie undrafted free agent, whatever? How long do you need to see from them before you can tell whether this guy's going to be any good or he stinks? And you can go one of two ways. Like there's no in between. Like, well, he could be good, but he's not that great right now. But give him a couple of years. Like, this guy wanted to, like, if you see this guy, you know he's good or he's going to be good or you know this dude can't play. And I thought it was very telling that one of the first guys to reply was former Packers lineman T.J. Lang. <laughs> you know what his answer was? Right away. One practice. Yeah. Well. That's how long. That's how long. It takes, which start, which made me think of this whole Trubisky thing. It's like, do you think coaches and general managers know as soon as they get a guy, first, second, third round, whatever, and they put him through drills in a game situation, 
or, you know, seven on seven, 11 on 11, whatever. And if they put them in, do you think they know right away, like, fuck, we missed the boat on this guy? Or do you think they say, well, you know, he can be coached a little bit. We'll put him through some reps and give him a couple of games and whatever. We'll see where we are after that. Or do you think they are just obligated, since they drafted, to not make themselves look like clowns to say, this is our guy, we got to go with this guy? Because if that's the case, you got a whole lot of coaches and general managers and front office guys that are really good actors. Well, I'm going to give you my sexist analogy. It's like yeah. the uh, it's like the girl that dates the dirt ball. Yeah, he yeah he did meth for a while and he did a stint in uh, in county, and he doesn't have a driver's license. But he's a really nice guy, and I think I can change him. That's kind of what you're saying if you if you are like three years into a draft pick and you haven't figured it out yet. Well, we can coach him up. No, you can't. Like, by the time these guys get in, I think one practice is very easy for Lang to say when he's been on the Packers with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. Okay, Mm -hmm. I get that. You know, if Pat Mahomes is your quarterback, sure. I think for most guys it takes takes a little bit of time. Um, But I think with Trubisky, you know, he's never – there's nothing that anybody's ever seen that's going to tell you that he's ever going to be a top-10 quarterback in the league. But I also don't think it's fair to just throw him in the bottom ten either. I think I think he's had I think he's had some I think he's had some very very bad luck, especially last year. That team was a mess. Their line was a disaster. They couldn't run the ball. He had no weapons. He was banged up all year. It was just that everything that could have went wrong for the Bears last year did, and that happens in the NFL once in a while, especially when your quarterback's not a superstar. Um, but he has shown that he can mm-hmm. win some games. Um, but is that the guy you want to hit your wagon to for multiple years? No, it's just not. And it does suck it because just- they're going to have to draft somebody again next year. And, you know, you, you would hope on one hand, like the, the, the problem is, is like, okay, let's say the Bears start out three and five and they bench Trubisky. Well, that's when you bring in Foles and you win seven straight. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden now you're 10 and 6, you make the wild card and your draft picks 22 instead of where it probably should be around like 6. You know what I mean? That's where well, you get screwed. I I think this situation also calls and really it does for every NFL team to have a veteran backup who might be on the downside of their career um like a Foles or like we'll get to in a second with uh with Andy Dalton because these rookie contracts now they're not the Sam Bradford things where you are out a boatload of money. Right. If you decide, you know what, this isn't working, we made a mistake, we got to cut ties. Well, no, you owe this guy $150 million. Those days don't exist. The rookie contracts are a lot more reasonable. So I guess it's weird to me why if you know in two years whether this dude's not going to live up to your expectations, why don't you just cut ties, cut your losses, play the veteran guy, See what happens, and then um, try and see if you can get another pick to try and you know right the ship or whatever. Like sticking with a guy for three or four years now with with these rookie contracts, it just seems like you're wasting a lot of people's time just to hold out any sense of hope that you know this this quarterback or whatever player will eventually prove you're right 
for taking him when you did. Well, I think it's just, I think this whole Trubisky experiment back to when they traded up one pick to get him, I think it's all part of Ryan Pace's grandmaster plan that in two years he gets Aaron Rodgers. I think he knew that I'm going to draft this kid. (laughs) He's going to underwhelm. I'm going to take shit from my fan base. The whole league's going to laugh at me. But you know what? Then I'm going to go out and I'm going to get a super overpaid Nick Foles to come in for a year and a half. And then I'm going to have Rodgers in 2022 and we're going to win the Super Bowl. I think it's it's all, as, as the emperor said, it's all going as I have foreseen it. (laughs) <laughs> How you like that for your May the 4th? Well, I, I, that's very good. I shouldn't laugh because there's a very real possibility that you are going to be <laughs> No way. No I'm way is cool. that guy that smart. I'm sorry. No. Well, all right. So what, what, uh, what's the deal with Dalton signing? Let's run through a couple of NFL I liked things it. before we get to the Jordan documentary. I, yeah? like, I, I like the move. Uh, he was the guy that I was kind of hoping was going to be a bear. Um, I mean... He's on the back end of his career, there's no doubt. But, I mean, the guy has won double-digit games like four or five times. He's made the playoffs four or five times. Um, He's exactly what you were just describing. He's a backup, veteran, solid player on the backside of his career that definitely gives you Dak insurance if Dak holds out. And I think he also pushes Dak a little bit, too. I mean, sometimes with these guys, you can get a little bit comfortable in your own setting. And I think I think you saw that with, like, a Cam Newton. I mean, you know, he wins, his, wins the MVP and, and they go to the Super Bowl, and you could kind of tell the last few years that I don't think he was quite as motivated or as in shape, but he had nobody pushing him. So um, I like what Dallas – Dallas offensively looks to be – Probably the best, at least in the, in the NFC. I, I I don't think they're better than KC, but I think in the NFC, you got to look at them on paper as the best offense potentially. Um, and then you, you know, I think Mike McCarthy. You just, just got to start. Yeah, go ahead. You just you just got to start wondering when they're going to stop underachieving. Well, I I think they think they now because they have a better coach. I you know what whatever yeah. you think of Mike McCarthy and his play calling the last few years, he's a better football coach than Jason Garrett. There, there's there's not oh, a yeah. doubt in my mind about that that he is worth a win to two <laughs> more than Garrett. And those Cowboy teams, it wasn't like they were going four and twelve. You know they're eight and eight, nine and seven. They're no. they're they're in the mix. They should be better. And maybe McCarthy, especially that first year, you know, you always get the honeymoon year. I mean. He's going to be the greatest right. thing they've ever seen compared to Jason Garrett. So, <laughs> I the think, first year anyway. Yeah, I, I think that team's freaking scary, scary offensively. They could score a lot of points, but the quarterback position they gotta they gotta get everybody happy and feeling good, and that's going to mean opening up the checkbook for sure. Did, did you watch the uh, the Alex Smith special? I can't bring myself to do it. I didn't watch the special. I did see the little uh, teaser that they ran on, like, a sports center or something. Um, Oh, my God. Like, his leg. Yeah. I I don't even know how to describe it, like, what it looked like. It was all. It's horrifying. It's all swollen and lumpy, and and he was showing he had to have all of these skin grafts. Like. He's got like a whole bunch of his thigh is like in his leg now, in his like calf now. It's it's it is wild. Like, man, you see something like that. I don't know anybody 
that would want to play football. I mean, that is just grotesque. And he's talking about coming back. That's crazy. He's not going to be able to come back. That, that's, no way. That, no way. Like, if anybody is friends with that guy, don't let him. No. Nope. And it like seeing pictures of his leg in various states of, um, you know, the whole process. And like, there's part of me when you see the finished product and you're wondering, okay, is this going to get better? Is it going to heal? Is it going to look normal? Or are you going to have to wear like, I mean, my dad has had some stuff done to his leg for some cancer stuff and he's had to have skin grafts. It's like, it's now swollen every day. And he's got to wear one of those, you know, surgical socks on it. Like, I can't imagine what, what Alex Smith is going to have to wear. Like, if you're looking at it, and, and again, I hope I'm never in this position, but you see a lot of amputees who are able to move well, still run, have good prostheses and all that stuff. Like, do you even at some point just consider, like, just lop the thing off and we'll just go from there? <laughs> well, I don't know. I no, I not. I mean, yeah, I'm just saying. No, I hear you. Like, I hear you. Well, especially when, rough. like, he almost died. Right. Exactly. Who was the? Well, okay. Who was the Bears tight end that needed all those? Oh all those God, uh, procedures. Zach. Was it Zach Miller? I can't remember his name. Zach. Zach yeah. Miller, maybe. Yes. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's like he had blood clots and emergency surgeries and all this stuff. I mean, it's like he had stuff just to save his leg. Then they needed to do stuff again just so he could use his leg. It's like, I man, I don't know how anybody can be put through that ever. No, it was – I mean, I saw that teaser, and I was kind of like you. I'm like, I don't think I want to watch 15 minutes of this. But No! Like, when he was doing those exercises and he had, like, the halo around his leg, like, that usually mm-hmm. you see – usually you see it on people's heads. He's got that right. thing on his leg, and he's, like – doing this shit on the medicine ball, it's like, oh, my God, dude. That's – No. Wow. Wow. I mean, good for him. I'm, I mean, good for him on, on coming back and, and yeah, everything. But, oh, man, like put football out of your mind. That, that's I know it's a shitty way for your <laughs> career to end, but go talk to Joe Theismann. He went through the same thing. Like you, you just – that's it. That's it. Yep. Yep. And finally, the guy who made a cameo in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, finally passed away today. I just caught that in the last couple hours. Yeah, it's sad to see uh, Don Shula. He was 90, um, you know, legendary coach. I think he won three Super Bowls, went to a couple others. Um, Yeah, I mean, he's kind of the – he's kind of like the Bear Bryant of the NFL – like pre-Belichick, you know what I mean? If Bel- Belichick's mm-hmm. like Saban and, and Shula's kind of like Bear Bryant. And yeah. I, I think a lot of people, are, I mean, he was very well-respected around the league. I, I heard Ditka uh, on an interview t- tonight on SportsCenter talking about Shula. And, you know, Chris Mortensen was telling a story about he, uh, Chris Mortensen wrote a uh, kind of a scathing article about whichever one of his sons was coaching the Bengals years ago. Remember that in like the mid nineties when the Bengals were just winning one mm-hmm. game a year and, and Mortensen wrote an article <laughs> kind of ripping the guy. And, and then he had to do a sit down with Shula shortly after that. And he said, before they went on the air, Shula ripped him up and down for like five minutes. And uh, he said, <laughs> not, not one time did he curse 
And then he said, okay, are you ready to do the interview? And they do the interview, and afterwards, Shula shakes his hand and asks, starts asking like about his family and shit, and he's just like, the guy just rips me up and down, never swears at me, and then he just goes back to being this really, really nice man. So I thought it was kind of a cool story. <laughs> I like that. All right. Um, do we have any sports? Or is there any sports happening? Is anything on the horizon? I mean, I, you got I know a, they you have You got a couple things time. you could talk about. Well, I mean, golf is coming back. They've set a date for that. That's going to be, I think, in Arlington or uh, like Fort Worth. I think NASCAR is coming back by the end of the month. Uh, and then, like, the Korean Baseball Organization. That's actually going to have games broadcast on ESPN, so anybody that wants to watch baseball. But, I mean, like, you got these the NBA and the NHL again, and Major League Baseball to an extent. Everybody comes out with these plans, and they talk about a new plan. But then at the end, they say, well, we don't have a timetable in place. Well, then... What good is your plan if you don't know when you're going to execute it? Don't don't give me false hope. I want to know when you're going to do this and what it's going to be like. Until then, you don't even need to keep me updated. I'm just going to wait for you know the memo to to to, to come across. Other than that, you just figure out what you got to do. It's got to be like a PR firm or something telling them that they need to you know they need to stay in the in the news cycle and they need to say something and. You know, between that and I'm sure I'm sure the basketball reporter for ESPN is calling the league office every single day. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> and they don't want to say no comment or we don't know, so they come out with these little, well, we might do this and we might do that. The one that's weirdest to me is NASCAR. And I can't remember who I was listening to on the radio the other day that was talking about this, but like... There's like, I think there's like hundreds of people involved, like, in these races. Like, like doesn't every pit crew have like ten guys? So like you're yeah. gonna have like, I mean, what is there? I don't know. I don't know. How, I don't follow NASCAR. What is there? Twenty five, thirty five cars in a race. You're talking like five hundred people in the infield there, just in the pit crew. Like that's a lot of people. That's not like an NBA game where you got 12 guys on a team and a coach and maybe an assistant and a trainer, a couple refs, that's it. You're talking about a no. shitload of people at these NASCAR events. That's like that's uh, going to be interesting how they put that on. Well, and like back in the garages and then on pit road, like you're talking about, yeah, I'm like, you're not going to be able to get away from a whole lot of people. I don't know how you're going to be able to work on a car or do something, you know, and still maintain all these rules. I mean, yeah, we'll probably see a lot of masks and gloves sure, and all that stuff, sure. but the but the but the distancing thing is probably not it's going out. to happen. It's out. It has to be out because yeah, I mean, when you're yeah. when you're changing a tire, two guys are down there changing a tire, it's you know, what are you going to do? But I don't know. It's right. it's going to be interesting to to see and you know, one of the things I've heard the most recently about the NBA is like they really don't want to be the first sport to come back. And and I'm not considering like golf or NASCAR. I'm talking about baseball, basketball, football. It sounds like the NBA would really like baseball to start up first. And they're they don't want to be I think they're just nervous about because whoever starts first is going to screw some stuff up. They just are because right. nobody knows how this is supposed to work, and they're going to unfairly take shit for it. 
Um, I, I just think that the NBA would prefer it not be them. It, they'd prefer it was baseball, and football's too far away, so it's got to be baseball. And um, I don't know. I, we, we, that's kind of been the refrain for the last two months. I don't know. No, I, and, and you're right. Somebody's going to mess it up, and then they're going to wait a while and say, well, we're going to tweak this, we're going to do that, we're not going to make those mistakes, we'll be able to improve that. So nobody wants to be the guinea pig even though everybody wants to come back. It, it seems like it's just maybe a little bit of a chess match between all these, like, oh, well, we're thinking about doing it this time, but we're not really sure. What are you guys going to do? You know what I mean? It just seems like a round table where nobody really wants to put, uh, you know, push all their chips in. I think college football's in trouble. I, I, yeah, I saw the Big Ten today push back all of its you know, stuff, and I didn't catch if it was the end of June or June 1st. Well, the, the, I think the question is, can they justify playing football games, even if they're in empty stadiums? Can they justify bringing students back to play football games if they don't open the school? That's my, that's my no. question, because, you know, there, there are a lot of people in the academia world that resent sports as it is, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later when we talk about something local going on here, but... There's a mm-hmm. lot of people involved in that that resent sports anyway. And now you're going to give what could be perceived as some sort of preferential treatment to these guys, especially if you're testing them all the time. Um, I just don't know how that would work at the amateur level. Pro level, obviously, different animal. But, you know, you're talking about 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. I just don't know how they're going to figure this out. And we're, I mean, what, we're two months away from really – starting up for college football, right? I mean, end of June, early July. Yep. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That's that's going to be one to keep an eye on, too. Um, I don't know that it's going to have any bearing on any of the other leagues, but, I mean, college football is the second biggest sport in this country. So that that could certainly – one thing I think it could affect maybe is the NFL schedule. Maybe we see more Saturday football games in the NFL. I don't know. Yeah, and 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 they said that that if that if football that if college football doesn't play, then that's what is going to happen. That the NFL is looking at Saturdays, but it's like college is is vastly different. And I I mean I read an article about this. Like the NFL doesn't really need fans to stay afloat. Like they Correct. have gobs of TV money that that they can lean on. Colleges have have deals, you know, the Big Ten Network and, you know, some of the ESPNs and whatever. But it's like you also get a lot of money for your home games. That's why nobody wants to play on the road. You need those home games. Well, so, I mean, you know, I, it's yeah. not necessarily. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, what is it like every college athletic department? The only sport that typically makes money is football. So yeah. I mean, unless, unless you're a basketball school, right? Then then you can make do with that, right? Like Duke, like Duke makes more for for hoops, but like yeah, I mean, you know, we right. were we were talking about our our college football uh, video games that we've been playing, and like you were talking about, you were Kent State, like Kent State needs their stadium full to be able to fund their football program. They need to sell concessions, they need to sell programs, they need to sell parking, all that stuff. Those hundreds of thousands of dollars that they make on every on those four or five Saturday home games, like that keeps their program afloat. It's not a huge deal for Ohio state, 
But for those smaller schools, Akron, Kent State, places like that, like that's that could be death to these programs. And then it, and then right. it trickles down into the other stuff. If you're not making all that money in football, can you afford to have a a women's lacrosse team? You know, that's where all of a sudden sports start getting cut. <laughs> Anybody who wants to see Badger baseball return, you know, this oh, if there yeah. was any chance, with, with, with Barry already said that it's never going to happen on his watch. It, it, I mean, even if there's a new athletic director tomorrow, it still ain't happening after this. Nope, that's that ship has sailed. Yeah. All right, let's hit uh, the only sports thing really going on, which is weird because yep. it's a 20-year-old documentary, uh, The Last Dance, episodes 5 and 6 came out last night, and uh, I'm just having a, a blast watching this stuff. I mean, it's literally like being in a time machine and going back and reliving, you know, some of the moments and even just seeing some of the people on screen. Like, I've seen more Ahmad Rashad here in the last three weekends than I've seen in the last 10 years. <laughs> That's right. And I'm fine. I like Ahmad. I'm not ripping on it, but it's just like, oh, yeah, shit, I forgot. You, you kind of forget, like, he was the sideline reporter in the 90s. Yep. He was yep. the guy. You know, so um, yeah, I thought, and 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 it, and it wasn't until that second episode where you know he where when he broke his media silence and he basically came up to Ahmad, he's like, "Go get a mic and a camera. Let's you know, let's let's do this." Yeah, I mean, these were definitely my two favorite episodes so far. Um, you know, they 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 kind of started off in 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 '98 with the All Star Game. Um, the famous 98 All-Star game at Madison Square Garden. And, you know, they focused on the the Kobe-Michael relationship a little bit. Yeah, I thought that was cool. And, uh, you know, it, it's – I had seen some of that, that footage backstage. Like, I had seen the interaction between Michael and Kobe in the hallway, like slapping each other on the butt, and, and I had seen some of that kind of stuff. But the uh, – the video of those guys sitting around in the locker room, I thought was yep. fascinating. Um, you know, you had Jordan really in there holding court with all of his peers. I mean, he's the guy. Everybody's listening to him talk about Kobe. Nobody's really adding too much other than, yup, yup. You know, and he's, and he's talking about Kobe wants to shoot all the time and he doesn't let the game come to him. And it's funny, if if you didn't know better you would kind of think that Jordan was taking some shots at Kobe there, but I didn't take it that way at all. Um, I he, he had this smile on his face, and he almost kind of had a little glimmer in his eye of, like, I know that guy. That was me. And, you know, he's, he's going to take some lumps, and he's going to learn, but that guy is going to be a star. And, uh, you know, they tell the story about Kobe – uh, talking to Jordan about his his turnaround and Jordan giving him advice and and telling him to call him and I just thought that was very cool and Kobe's uh, Kobe's line about um, who would win one on one between him and Jordan and how much he hated that because he just thought it was so disrespectful to to Jordan and to you know just to any of the all time old, older greats to to compare players like that and and Kobe didn't really see Jordan as as a rival as much as like he said like a big brother and um that was pretty cool. I I just liked in the locker room there 
when he was talking about Kobe and they were kind of going around the room, you could really kind of see some of the younger guys that they showed were really kind of almost in awe of Jordan. Like they showed Penny Hardaway and, and uh, yeah. Jason Williams kind of sitting there, kind of kind of like looking. They were their heads were down, but they were kind of you know they were looking up, kind of like almost like a little kid listening to like a like a an old story. Um, right. I just they're it, not it was, sure when they're yeah, not sure when they're supposed to jump in exactly. or how much they're supposed to say. Right, and you could tell there was this there was this reverence for him that I I don't know that I've ever seen that before from you know contemporary guys in the moment like that it was very weird and then you know the, the Larry Bird is the best I mean there, there's a couple guys in here who are just they're just the best like you know Bird's giving his pregame talk and he just goes well you know we're here we might as well win <laughs> <laughs> and that's just so Larry Bird like oh, well it's a basketball game we might as well win it if we're gonna play it we might right. as well win it you know, and then Magic comes in, and Jordan's giving him shit, and you can tell they're boys, and you know, and then him and Magic and Larry, and Larry and Magic are in suits, and Michael's still playing. I just thought that was a very, very cool scene. Yeah, and I I like the part that you said about Kobe that they talked about him before the game. Then they showed just a small clip afterward when when, when they mentioned that that kid's going to be good. Oh yeah, watch out for him. He he's going to be so. It's like yeah, they. And, and you're right. I didn't view it as maybe taking shots at him, but they were pointing out that he's a youngster. Here are some of the flaws that he's got to work on if stuff's going to change. But then they fast forward and they show some clips from the game. They come back and then all of them say, "Okay, watch out for this kid. No, he's going to be good." You know. Yeah. So I thought I thought that 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 was cool how it kind of came full circle on that. Yeah, I mean, like you know, holy shit! When this guy figures it out, this is going to be his right. league. Yeah. Yeah, it, so, it's funny when you mention all those guys. Looking at all these these highlights, even from both episodes and going back, it's amazing how many guys I know and can pick out from watching when I was a kid, as opposed to how many I recognize in the league now. Like I remember all those guys. Mm-hmm. Like oh my god, you know some of the guys from the Suns and the Trailblazers, and you know some of the, some of the other guys at the All Star. I'm like I could. I could easily name all those guys. Like, you give me an all-star game right now, I could probably name not even half of them. Well, and I think part of that's been the player movement problem. You know, I mean, you know, you you see Dan Marley in a Suns uniform, and you or you see Dan Marley and you just identify him as a son. Like, you just are like, oh, yeah, he was on those Suns teams with Barkley. You know? Like, he was, because he was on that team for, like, nine years. Where now guys are there for two, and then they're moving, and it's just a little harder to follow. Um, one thing that has kind of come up and, um, Michael Jordan's former agent, David Falk made kind of a crazy comment where he said that if Jordan played today, he would average 50 to 60 points a game, which Mm. that's, I mean, that's just ludicrous. I mean, you know, if that would mean if you had an off night and scored 30, then the next night you had to score 70. I mean, come on, that's. That's silly, um, but it did it did kind of get the talk going about what would Jordan average if he played now. Um, I think it'd be really close to forty. I mean, James Harden is scoring thirty five a game now, um, you know, and, and it's because he's shooting so many threes. And I think if if Jordan played now, he would definitely shoot threes. I mean, hell, 
half the highlights they should have showed of him in this documentary have been of him hitting threes. So I think it would be uh it would be pretty fascinating to see, especially like that that uh late nineties into the the first repeat level Jordan where he's just like one of the most insane athletic people you've ever seen on the face of the mm-hmm. earth where he's just doing some stuff where you're like, Oh my God, how in the world did he just do that? Well, it's just, I mean, for me, it's just his ability to finish. It doesn't matter if he's facing the basket away from the basket, sideways to the basket, falling towards, falling away. It didn't matter. I mean, the dude could just finish mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, and and at that period in the league in the nineties, um, the big guys were big guys, and the floor was everybody wasn't spread out. So like, if you went into the paint, you were having to finish over or through like three seven footers. Like there was just a bunch of people down there. So yeah, you're right. That the the ability to finish was, and the way he did it was quite incredible. Um, you brought up his agent mm-hmm. and I, I, I wasn't aware. Um, I thought the marketing thing was very fascinating was that he was going to lead him into um, being like, you know, molding him after a tennis player and getting him a shoe. And yeah, I mean, he had, he had great deals. I mean, like you, you saw Nike right away and that his mom made him take the meeting, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, that's great. It's um, great because, story. because, he wanted Adidas and you got McDonald's. Um, they didn't say they, they didn't mention Haynes in there. I don't know if that maybe came a little bit later, but the shoe deal I thought was really funny when a lot of people looked at the agent and said, you are out of your mind. If you think that this is going to work modeling a basketball player off a tennis player and <laughs> the, the, that the, they came out with the shoe and they wanted to sell in a couple of years, $3 million worth of shoes. And they sold, in the first year, 126 million. That that was staggering to me. It it was, you know, and and I mean, even though this documentary is 10 hours long, like it could be about 40 hours long. There's so oh, much you could dig easily. into, and yes. you know, one of the things they they touched on it somewhat, and maybe they'll go into it a little more as they get into the you know, into the guts of the 97, 98 season. But like he was, Jordan was such a cultural phenomenon. Like when he came out with the shoes and it, and it goes back to what I talked about last time with, with like how, just how cool Michael Jordan is. Like his shoes were cool. His, his outfits were cool. His gear was cool. And he looked cool wearing it. Like those black and red and white, Jordan shoes on Michael Jordan. They look better on yeah. Michael Jordan than anybody. Like the, the, those shoes were, I mean, obviously they're literally made for him. And I mean, he, and he wore them to a T and they look so damn cool on him. And, you know, and like they said, they, they started bringing in some of the hip hop element and you got, you know, shoes were important in the hip hop element and it just exploded. I mean, they didn't even really get into some of his other endorsements. I mean, you know they play the they play the the like Mike commercial the the famous Gatorade yep. one and I literally sitting in my chair watching it I literally get goosebumps when I hear that because it, <laughs> it 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 and that's what I say about being in a time machine like it literally takes me back to being ten when I hear that mm-hmm. song and I see that commercial 
and I see those glorious, glorious glass Gatorade bottles. Not this plastic shit they put it in now, but the actual right. glass right. Gatorade bottles. It transports me back to being a little kid. And, I mean, I think that's what's been so damn fun about this for me is, like, you know, I remember a lot of it, but, you know, you forget the minor stuff. And it's it's been really fun to see that. I was hoping they were going to show the uh, – remember the, the McDonald's commercial where him and Bird are playing horse? And it's like off the balcony, yeah. off the roof, nothing but yeah. net. They didn't show that one, but that that was a classic. No, that's that's one that I mean I think that sticks out more than anything. Um, uh, let's see. Do you want to just run through some other stuff from that episode quick before we get yeah, to the next one? Because I, I know where we could probably talk about this for another hour and a half. Yeah, I mean they they happened in '92. Um, you know they they talk they touch on the the '92 finals against Drexler Clyde Drexler who. Oh, I don't know that, that Drexler hilarious. Drexler never came out and was and was saying it too much, but the media was kind of portraying it as Drexler being Jordan's equal. And I mean, if you've learned anything about Michael Jordan from this documentary, it's that you don't fucking challenge him. And no, and he was he felt challenged, he and he put it he put it under the bed. I mean. <laughs> there was there was no no doubt coming out of that who the best player was of the two and obviously in the world and the funny thing about it is like Drexler actually had a really good series like he averaged like twenty five and five or something but it was like but Jordan averaged thirty five like that's just mm-hmm. like yeah you could be great but he was just greater than you and and he and he put that right. that controversy to rest and that kind of led into the olympics in in uh the summer of 92 with the dream team and you know they touched briefly on the isaiah thing and and repeat the question that you asked me today about isaiah well i mean i didn't know a whole lot of the the rift i know that thomas wasn't on the team and and the way they set it up in the documentary and they didn't really touch on uh, on it anything else was that you know, did, did MJ just basically still harbor bad feelings about the guy just from that, you know, walk-off series when, when, when you know, when the Pistons just walked off the floor? Because you had said that there's a whole lot of other stuff that, he didn't, that they didn't even get into. And it's like the, the fact that he still harbors such ill will for that guy off the court. Um, and I thought that was, a you know, a, a good statement that he said. It's like, totally respect. Isaac, you know, Isaiah Thomas, the basketball player, you know, MJ, and then, and, you know, Isaiah right, right behind and, you know, whatever. But like the guy's still an asshole. I'm like, wow. Yeah. It's amazing that, that all that still exists. And I guess I'm just looking for as a non-basketball guy, what else was there that we don't know? Well, yeah, I mean, he, he did. He called him the second greatest point guard of all time, which I think I would put him third behind magic and Oscar, but uh, you know, second, that's fine, but that's quite, respectful um, to, to say that, yes, but it you know, it, it goes back to uh, Isaiah Thomas is from the South side of Chicago, born and raised. Okay. And when Isaiah gets into the league, he's coming from Indiana. They won a national title. He's the number, I think he's the number two pick in the draft. He goes to the Pistons and they gradually become good. He, he's best friends with magic Johnson and Magic and Bird are kind of the obstacle that Isaiah has to get past. And in 85, Jordan's first All-Star game, 
the story is that Isaiah and Magic Johnson, though Magic Johnson being on the other team, I don't know how much he could have been involved, but allegedly Isaiah wanted to freeze Jordan out, so not 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 passing the ball, and that that whether that's true, Isaiah is denied it, of course. Um, well, yeah. So so there's there's that. Um, Isaiah resented Jordan because Isaiah was from Chicago, and Michael Jordan now all of a sudden is this savior of Chicago, and then they start playing in the playoffs, and Isaiah's getting booed in Chicago, and he didn't like that. And, yeah. you know, the whole Piston Bull thing, they got into it pretty good, but, like, they beat the shit out of Jordan. They cheap-shotted him. They they tried to hurt him. Um and he he took that very personally, and I think that that whole thing with the walking off, I think that was just the the last straw for Jordan. If Isaiah had shook his hand after that and said, "Hey, man, congratulations, go get to, go get the title," I think things would be wildly different. But I think I, that was that, just the final straw that broke the camel's back. And then you know, I, I Isaiah had problems with a lot of guys on that team, that dream team. I mean, Magic had come out and said that he had HIV, and Isaiah had kind of said, well, I don't know. Maybe he's gay. I don't know. (laughs) And, I mean, this is supposed to be his best friend. Right. So him and Magic aren't getting along. He had issues with Carl Malone. He had massive issues with Pippen, obviously with Jordan. I mean, that's, that's that's a quarter of or that's a third of the team. And like Jordan said, this is supposed to be fun. We're, we, why would we want to include a guy that half of us don't even like? How's that going to work? Right. No. So, All right. But then they touched but, a little bit on the dream team, the famous dream team practices, and oh my god, that that clip that of was, magic throwing the ball in the stands was hysterical. I thought that was great, and then, and then I like the ball boy right there. Okay, here you go. Here, here's another one. And the shit talking that was going on, and that and, was really good. And it's cool because, like, you know, from watching this now. Magic and Michael are they're boys. Like yeah. they're like not best friends in the world, but they're boys. Like Magic was over at his house playing cards with him the night before a finals game that he was calling and like so when they're going at it, like they're going at it. But then they get on the bus and Magic's like, Well shit, we guess we shouldn't have pissed him off you know, and then it was back to being buddies again. And that's that's what it's all about. That's what competition at that level is supposed to be all about, you know, and I, I thought they did a really good job of showing that. I like the, uh, the part about Tony Kukoc because the, the thing that, that I've heard from a lot of basketballers and you included is that, that he never gets the credit for how good a player he was. He and doesn't. then they spotlighted him on, on kind of just like throw, you know, being thrown to Chicago you know, from management and be like, hey, here's the next big thing. Everybody's been like, mm, you know, I don't think so. And we're going to show you that he may be, you know, we're still at the top of our game. And I don't know why you'd be throwing this kid in the mix and how they just beat the shit out of him that first game against Croatia. And then he, he kind of came back in the title game a little bit and showed some stuff. And, and there was there was a little bit of respect there as well. But again, it just, it it injects something to that, you know, players versus management on that Bulls team that I think is just that recurring theme about 
that season that they're doing this documentary on. Yeah, and Pippen and Jordan kind of pulled a farve. I mean, they took it out on Kukoc when it really wasn't had nothing to do with yeah. Tony. It was all about Jerry Krause and nope. sticking it to him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and uh, I, I thought it was important the way they presented Kukoc. I mean, you gotta you gotta remember this is the early '90s. This is happening, and like Kukoc said, he's like, I have no idea what the dynamics are of the Chicago Bulls. This is halfway around the world pre-internet. There's no NBA league pass. There's no NBA TV. He's not watching these games. So he's oblivious to what's going on. He doesn't even know these guys hate him. And like he said, they've never even met me. Right. So, you know, and, and you know, he's coming from uh, from Yugoslavia that's in the middle of a just horrendous civil war and he didn't civil want war, he, yeah. he didn't want to just leave his family and and go to the United States. And like there's a lot of shit in there that's a lot deeper than just hoops, you know. Oh no, totally. I thought I thought that was I thought that was very very interesting that they, you know, they find all these different angles to include in there and I thought the Olympics and that that being one of them was was really good to be included and then it kind of culminated with the whole um, logo thing and it's 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 funny how God I'd know, for, I had forgotten why, about that man I had totally no, forgotten and, and and I didn't know about it and I, I'm just trying you know I'm thinking back to the meeting that he didn't want that his mom kind of made him go and at least listen then he he signs with them and he he you know they are very good to him and he's so fiercely brand loyal that he's willing to do this on the biggest stage to hold up his end and promote his brand that he, you know, that, that he is, is personally um, endorsing. I thought that was very, very interesting. Yeah. I mean, you said it, it's, it's loyalty. I mean, it just shows that if you had his back, he had yours. And I, you know, once, once they refreshed my memory, I did remember that that was a big deal. Like the NBA was in, and FIBA and USA basketball were pretty pissed off about that, you know, and uh, he kind of he kind of stuck his neck out for Nike and uh, put himself out in the fire and and he was in uh, in a stroke of of typical brilliance he drapes an American flag over the logo so I mean who can really say anything right? Nope, can't say anything. You can't get around that. And then and then if you do, your company looks really really bad. What do you think of the whole social justice part of it, where they talked about him not? Wanting to come out and support the uh, the black uh, Senate candidate in North Carolina and 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 that whole thing and um, you know showing Obama's semi disappointment and then they had the one guy who was comparing him to Ali and said he'd never be Ali. I mean, what do, where do you stand with with like the responsibility of somebody like that to come out and and endorse a person or something? Well, some people would argue that it's your that it's your duty, whereas people would just say, "I'm just an athlete here to play games and fulfill my contract, and that's my business." And I, I mean, I really can't argue either side. I mean, I get that people are disappointed, but it's all about what expectations are pushed on you from anybody else. Do you have a responsibility as an athlete? Uh, I mean, it's like, isn't Barkley the guy who said, I'm not a role model, nobody should look up to me. Mm-hmm. And I know there were a few athletes that kind of thought that. And by the end of that, uh, you know, these two episodes, Jordan, you know, if he wanted to do it over, a lot of people were speculating that he wouldn't want to be put, you know, in that public eye, in that spotlight, because you're called upon to do a lot of things that you either don't know about or you don't have any business 
invest. And like Jordan even said himself, like, I don't know this guy. Right, exactly. I don't know what he stands for. Why am I all of a sudden going to put my reputation with my endorsements and, you know, my everything on the line to back this dude when I don't know anything? But at the same time, I don't know, maybe because it's an area where you were at, do you have a responsibility to get involved? I I really can't say either way because that's an individual's call to make. I know with with what I deal with in politics and, you know, some things that topics that I just hate talking about, I'd be so far away from that that it would like you don't associate me with that. I play basketball. That's it. I'm a basketball player. Yeah, you you can eat a Big Mac, you can drink a Gatorade, you can buy a pair of shoes, but that's about where it stops. So I I don't blame him at all. Um, yeah, but I mean, for, you, for some people, especially in, in 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 a minority group, you know, those are the people that maybe they think they need to rally around, and those are the people that can affect change, and maybe that's where a lot of the disappointment comes from. Yeah, I think that's that's very true, and you you know, you're trying to serve two masters, and you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. No matter what you do, you're going to piss yep. off a side, and you know, it's it's kind of funny. I mean. You know, he. We'll get to the gambling thing in a second. I mean, some of the guys that he was gambling with, he obviously didn't do his homework on who these people were, and it got him in trouble. Right. And it's the basically the same logic he used in not endorsing that candidate was like, well, I don't know this guy, so it's just kind of ironic that, mm-hmm. that that ended up kind of biting him. But yeah, I mean, what if that guy turns out to be a bad guy? I mean, if that guy gets caught in a hotel with a hooker, yep. now what? Now what are we? Are we talking shit about Jordan supporting this guy? I mean, that's where. Right. I'm I'm on the side of being a role model is is different than being a social justice person. I mean, being a role model to me is like, you know, be a good family man, uh don't do drugs, don't get arrested, don't drunk drive. Yep. You know, that to me is being a good role well, model. Jordan, he- he said that in the next episode. It's like when people talk about Michael Jordan, they're going to say the only thing wrong was that he maybe gambled a little bit too much. Right. Like, that's pretty good if that's the worst thing that you can say. Yeah, I liked I liked what your boy Cowherd said today on his show. He said, you know, I'm not about – I'm, I'm not the kind of person that tells people to stay in their lane. Like, if you want to talk about it, fine. But I also don't think that I should be able to tell you what lane to be in. And if you don't want to talk about it, then yeah. that's fine. I've, I have no problem with that. So that got into episode six. Well, and, and just imagine yeah. what, just imagine what those athletes like. Imagine that situation now today with social media. Oh yeah, yeah, no doubt. All right, so you that leads I mean? that leads in episode six. We'll buzz through this quick because we're getting a little long, and I want to hit the local thing All at right. the end. But yep. um, they got in episode six. All they right. talked about the Jordan Rules book, um, which I've read a couple of times. It's it's a great book by Sam Smith that really kind of started to bring to light a little bit of the behind the scenes with Jordan and the Bulls and some of the friction that that was there between a couple of the teammates, uh, but especially with the front office. Um, that kind of that kind of opened the floodgates to that whole gambling thing, and you know, there's always been the conspiracy that he was pushed out of the league. I think that's a joke. Um, there's no way he didn't do anything illegal. There was no way they were going to push their their biggest attraction out of the league. Um, I, I don't want to get too big into the gambling thing because, frankly, I don't know other that much about it other than what was shown on the dock. Um, he was involved with some shady guys, and he. Um, and he played a lot of golf with them, but the 
the trip to Atlantic City the night before Game 2, I believe, of the 93 Conference Finals against the Knicks was really kind of the tipping point of, of Jordan starting to think about hanging it up. Um, the media really crushed him for that when it, it you know it appeared to be quite innocent. It was just he wanted to get out of his room and go do something, and he was with his dad. Um, I thought that was very interesting, the way that that was portrayed, because that was another thing like I remembered, but I had forgotten all the details. And uh, he got pounded for that big time. And uh, he really, and again, you know, you challenge Michael Jordan at your own peril, and he felt challenged, and he went on to destroy the Knicks the rest of that series. Um, I just thought that was interesting. I mean, talk about much to do about nothing. I mean, compared to some of the shit Rodman was doing, Michael Jordan going to a casino with his dad to play some blackjack is about as tame as you could get. Yeah, the the one thing I took away from that, other than what you mentioned, is that people were wondering, you know, who's feeding Sam Smith all this information. And they all said, you know, it was Horace Grant. And then you get Horace Grant, like, I never told the dude anything. It was Horace. Yeah, we, we got a good relationship, but it's like, that's right, exactly what yeah. But like just the way he was talking after that, it's like, well, I mean, I think anybody just can tell from your what you're saying and, and your body language that you you were coughing stuff up. But yeah, for yeah. sure. And I mean that that '93 Eastern Conference Finals. If anybody's looking for something to do, go back on YouTube and watch a couple of those games. I mean, that is an unbelievable series. Unbelievable. Game, All I remember game four is. I mean, Jordan scores like 54 in Game Four, and John Starks is doing about his good as humanly possible to defend Jordan and he is just everything is right in his eye it's unbelievable John Starks was one of those guys that reminded me how much that I didn't like him when he was in the league and I saw a couple of tweets from people that that actually did like him but I I I don't know what it was back then I just knew that watching the Bulls in some of those playoff games I didn't like John Starks for whatever reason and I can't I can't to what it was about or why it was back then. He was nuts. Um, but it just reminded me, like, oh, that's right. I hated that fucking guy. He had a screw loose. He was nuts. He he, he was always getting into it with Jordan and Reggie Miller. And, I mean, it was it was part of his deal. He was the underdog. He had the underdog story. You know, he was bagging groceries at some community college for a while. And, like, the story was cool. But, yeah, he just he was an agitator that played with a chip on his shoulder. And when he played well, the Knicks were almost impossible to beat. But... When you're going up against the GOAT, it's it's tough to win that series. So, you know, they played the Knicks four years in a row in 91, 92, 93, 94. The only year the Knicks won was 94 when Jordan was gone. They actually played them six times in eight years in the playoffs. I mean, you talk about a rivalry. Man, mm-hmm. that's I miss yeah. those days. So then they head into the I, 93. I the, 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 the finals against Phoenix. Oh, yeah. I mean. That that Phoenix team is maybe my favorite non-Bucks team ever. I loved that team. When I went to the finals in 93, I was cheering for the Suns. I loved that team. And poor Dan Marley, another uh <laughs> another Jerry Krause favorite and a really really good player in his own right, just absolutely got shit on the entire series by Jordan. I mean, he averaged 41 a game in the series. <laughs> That's insane, man. And and I forgot how good how good and maybe how, sm- how much smaller Barkley was. 
but like I didn't know that you know that he was tenacious and he actually had a decent jumper and stuff like that's the stuff that I didn't pay attention to because like just me was just focusing on the Bulls and stuff like that like that's the stuff that I that I don't remember were a lot of basketball um you know nuts and and people that watched the game for years they they I mean obviously he was the he was the MVP clearly but it's like you see him play I'm like man I guess I forgot he was that good. He was an animal, man. I mean, and he yeah, he was the MVP that year, and he was great. But, man, some of those late 80s, like 1990 Barkley when he's on the Sixers, oh, my God. And there, he has no help, and he is just dragging these guys <laughs> to 50 wins and then going into the playoffs and getting stomped by Jordan. But, man, yeah, people, people, you know, he's one of those guys that you see him on TV now, and he's fat, and he and – he, just says stuff and and people just yeah. you know he's kind of like the NBA version of Terry Bradshaw that way, but like man, mm-hmm. that dude was unbelievable as a player. So so what is uh, on deck for episode seven and eight? Do we know? Um, I did see a clip of they talk about him punching Kerr. I think we're going to start getting into a oh, little yeah. bit more of yep. the the teammate dynamic there. Um, I hope they get into a little bit more of what they touched on towards the end of six with kind of just how, how famous Jordan was and how trapped he felt by it. And, you know, there's that scene where he's in his hotel room on the couch smoking a cigar, just talking about how he can't go anywhere. And he's, you know. Yeah, he's, this is what he's going to do all day. Sit, it, sit in the couch, watch TV. I mean, there's the, there's the scene that everybody loved where he's in the back room of the locker room hiding out from everybody playing quarters with a security guard. I mean, that right. that's who, you know, that's who Michael Jordan hung out with was, like, his security team. Like, that's who he hung out with. He couldn't go out with Pippen and, and Pax into the restaurant because they would never get to eat. They'd be mobbed. It was, it's crazy. I mean, I thought yeah. I thought what Wilbon said that Magic Johnson told him that the media was going to drive him out of the game. Um, I mean, talk about foreshadowing. That was pretty spot on. So yeah. And then lastly, no, I thought we, it was Ahmad Shah yep. is, is is a legend. Yes, and I, I know you 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 brought that up right at the beginning. And God damn it, a Willow Bay sighting. I mean, oh. Willow Bay and Ahmad Rashad on inside stuff. I mean, I, I think every prepubescent boy in America in the '90s was in love with Willow Bay. If you love basketball, she was it, man. She still looked good too. <laughs> I think she. I think she's one of those ones too. I, she married like some old TV executive and just stopped working. No, but yeah, she. Yeah, nice to see her again. So, <laughs> all right. Last thing we wanted to touch on. Um, our buddy Eric Schmolt wrote a really, really good article in the Gazette. I think that was Sunday, talking about what's going on here locally with with the spring sports. And I'm going to let you get into that because you probably know a little bit more about it than I do. But just kind of give us the rundown of what's going on. Well, yeah, I mean, it's spring sports are done, and the um, the WIA basically said you can have summer contact for 30 days starting in July, I think it is, or maybe it's in June. I think it's in June. And normally they allow five days, but you're allowed 30 if you include seniors from the past academic year that missed out on spring sports. 
So if you want to, you know, get together, do a team picture, have a couple practices, play a couple scrimmages, or invite another team in for an exhibition or whatever, because nothing's going to be official. You can do that, mm-hmm. and um, it's a. I, I found it very startling that a lot of districts and a lot of conferences immediately put the kibosh on that. Yeah, they basically said we're not going to be doing this, and I was like, really? That seems wrong you know i mean just in an era of you know kids that are getting college i can partially understand um because that's more of a business but it's like a lot of these kids this is the last opportunity that they're going to have to play organized sports unless they go to college and play like intramurals so that kind of stung me that they immediately said well we're not doing that because i thought maybe a parker craig series in all these spring sports I don't know how you do it for track and field, but I thought maybe it's worth exploring because it was the end of April at the time. Then the school district comes out and basically says, we're not paying our spring head coaches at all, even though seven of the 10 big eight conference teams are, and Janesville is not. And I thought that that was really a bad, bad look. Um, and Schmolt goes into it in his article and basically saying that, you know, these coaches put in a lot of time. Some of them had already practiced. Some of them had been prepping in the off season for work they were putting in, maybe not didn't have contact with the athletes or something like that. But I mean, it goes just beyond the fact that you're practicing and have games. That's how you earn your paycheck. Well, it's a little bit more than that, but <laughs> you and I have been doing these basketball games for a few years. And we see the general state of athletics in Janesville and how it's pretty much gone down across the board, save for a couple of teams here, a couple athletes there. But across the board, it's just not as good as it, as it, as it used to be. And this, to me, really speaks volumes of what the district thinks of its athletic programs and doesn't really care about supporting them beyond wins and losses and I think Eric did a really good job in kind of you know taking them to task a little bit for saying here's an opportunity you had that was a pretty easy decision to make and you fucked it up yeah I I I love the article. I, I was grinning as I read it because he he took a couple of of little shots at the uh, at the district. You know their explanation for it was pretty weak, um, and and it it does oh, totally weak. it it goes to show that people making those decisions are either one they're they're too worried about counting the beans, or number two yep. they never played a sport. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, if you're going to tell me that you think a football coach is only working during the football season, then you don't know shit. I mean, if you're a basketball coach, right. all the things you do in the summer, you're running camps, you might be running a tournament. I mean, granted, I understand they're not going to be doing that this summer, but we we have seen a ridiculous amount of coach turnover in the five years yeah. or so we've been doing games in the Big Eight. I mean, when I was in high school playing, I think there was maybe one or two teams that had a, a new coach while I was there, and I think it was like, you know, one one situation was Bruce Dahman just retired from teaching, became the principal, and Steve Collins became the memorial coach. Um, so that's, you know, it, it wasn't like he, you know, was fired or something. But it just seems like now 
we go to these games and we're like, who's he? Who's this coach? Where did he come from? Where'd she come right. from? Like, what is? I mean, Beloit girls ended up having to have their athletic director be the coach this year because they had had like what? They had had like three Couldn't or four coaches guys. in like four Couldn't years. So if you're yeah. now now you're telling yeah. me that you're you're not valuing what I'm doing and you any chance you can get to not pay me you're going to not pay me what the, what the fuck am I doing this for it's a thankless job anyway and that yeah. and and now yep. you're going to start screwing with the and, money part of it nah and and like you had mentioned for for the district to basically say well you didn't practice during the season you didn't coach games during the season therefore you don't get paid during the season they, I don't think, I, I, I think they're overestimating or overgeneralizing exactly when the coaches put in the yes. time. Yeah, they get paid during those couple of months that the, that the sport is in season. But they do a lot of work outside that sets up their season for success. Like you had mentioned some basketball summer stuff and, you know, all that. But it's like a lot of these guys still have programs that they put together in off-season camps or, um, you know, workouts that they want to put their athletes through and like, Hey, here's, here's a regimen you guys follow. Um, it's going to be up to you, but they spend time putting that stuff together and, you know, checking in and doing all that stuff. So I think it's very, very short sighted to say that just because you didn't play games, just because you didn't practice between the months of March and June, that you're not going to get paid. That's, that's foolish. It really is. Well, yeah. And think of, just think about all the other things that a coach does. You know, I mean, the coach does most of the scheduling now. Um, you know, if if a uh, if a team is going to go on a trip out of state, they're putting that together. Not to mention all of the nights during the season that you're scouting and you're watching tape and you're coming up with practice plans. And there's so much more. They're they're not just showing up at at four o'clock for a two hour practice and then showing up on game night. Like that's that's not how it works. So I it, it, nope. one thing it did make me wonder about is is would this be different? if they had a district athletic director, if they had one guy down at, at on Franklin street and, and dealing with the school board that was advocating for everybody. And, and you know, we've got an athletic director now at each school, but the problem is those guys are also coaches. So maybe mm-hmm. their, their arguments could come off a little biased. If you had a central voice, like back in the old days with one guy, I just, I don't know, maybe it wouldn't be different, but I just, it kind of got me thinking that if you had more of a, I don't know, a bureaucratic guy to deal with that, as opposed to a coach slash teacher trying to go down and convince these people that have never played why why they should be paying paying the coaches, I don't know. Yeah, that's something I'll have to ask. And, you know, you and I know some coaches for spring sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can obviously send a send a text message or whatever just to see what they think. Obviously, I don't think the, the response is going to be very positive. But I, I guess I'll be curious to see what those conversations were like with their ADs and then with the, uh, with, with the district office when they were trying to – because they probably said, what do you mean you're not going to – Hey, our coaches, right. are you out of your mind? And then they probably gave the whole bean counting spiel that, you know, they released in a statement that Eric put in the, in, 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 in the article, which he flat out basically said, that is definitely not good enough because no. 
I, I don't know. Nobody's getting rich off being a coach. And to think that a couple of spring coaches and their paychecks will bankrupt the district with uncertainty heading into, you know, the next academic year, that seems a little bit ludicrous to me. Mm-hmm. No, I'm with you. It's it's unfortunate. It's a bad look. Um, I think it could lead to some hard feelings Very. from a lot of people. And, uh, yeah, like you yep. said, it, it just shows that there's – there's not a ton of value put on on the athletics in Janesville anymore, well, unfortunately. And like you said about turnover, you and I have seen how hard it is to find coaches and assistant coaches. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden you're going to take away their paycheck, yeah, too, just because they because they didn't put in you know a couple of months worth of work when the season was actually you know or when when the sport was in season. You're having a hard enough time as it is. How now? What are you doing? You're not doing yourself any favors. Stupid and short-sighted, but that's kind of usually how it works when you're dealing with these these governmental groups. They just, I don't know, can't they can't see the forest through the trees sometimes, unfortunately. That's so. it. That's it. All right, man, you got anything else? I have nothing else. I got to go watch an episode of Below Deck and try and get about four hours sleep before I roll into the into the radio station. I'm trying to think if I should watch The Rise of Skywalker tonight on Disney Plus. I did today. Uh, I don't know. I haven't I, seen it I yet, and I'm left. just... We're, no. You liked I, it, not liked it? I, I turned it off, and I told Jane, I said, well, that was a couple hours I'll never get back. Mm, yeah. And it's super long, right? Yes, it is. <sighs> like, I, I paused it because I, I felt my eyes getting heavy, and I saw where the timer was. I'm like, I'm only half through this. I may have to wait till the weekend I, when I can go down to the Rock County Brewery and get some beer. <laughs> <laughs> I might yeah, need, that, that I might need a, a couple. Strategy. I might need a couple eight nine percenters to get me through that movie. Jesus. Yep, I would say I would say definitely do that. All right. Well, another one in the books. Hopefully, we don't have too many more yep. of these to go. We're 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 hanging on as long as we can. We're stretching it thin, but somehow we have managed to get to an hour and a half tonight i don't know how but i guess that's, that's what amazing. happens that's what happens when you and i don't talk for a week i guess right that's <laughs> what happens when it's all text message communication and and it's it's about college football video games at that yeah well speaking of that i got to get back to it i'm in week seven of year 2066 i got to finish up <laughs> <laughs> go to it man all right well thanks for joining us once again um, we'll be back next week with a all new something. We'll figure it out as we go. But thanks for continuing to listen. I know uh, I know you appreciate it as much as I do. And uh, if you have any feedback, let us know. All right, I'm Dan. I'm Josh. We'll see you down the road. Go sports. Go sports.